Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and I am the host of a show called Independence Day, to which you are listening. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Michael Ubaldini. Michael Ubaldini is a maverick. Stylistically, he could be called a number of things. Rocker, traditionalist, punk sympathizer, rockabilly aficionado, renegade country artist, along with a dozen others. Over the course of his multiple-decade career, he has shared stages with some heavy hitters. Lucinda Williams, Brian Setzer, Leon Russell, Jerry Lee Lewis, Southside Johnny, John Hammond Jr., Peter Case, Billy Zoom, John Doe, The Stray Cats, John Waite, Johnny Rivers, The Cramps, and Dave Alvin among them. Often clad in a classic black leather jacket, Ubaldini is a bit of a geographical anomaly. He looks like he just stepped off the stage at New York's legendary and much-missed CBGBs, but he makes his home in Orange County, California, Los Angeles' bucolic neighbor to the south. Ubaldini's take on Americana and Roots music assuredly is more New York attitude than Midwestern college rock, but the sunshine and palm trees haven't mellowed Ubaldini's attitude one single sneer. He's as prolific as he's ever been, and his shows and albums range from solo unplugged Roots Rocks rave-ups to raucous, electrified, full-band affairs. Welcome to Independence Day, Michael Ubaldini. Hello, Michael. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for and having me. I especially mean this to you, because you, you're an Orange County guy. Yeah, I'm Which for now. people who aren't in Los Angeles... Like, that's like the orange curtain. It's like a thousand miles away, it seems like, sometimes. Yeah. It's not really that far. No, it's, that's the old saying, you know. But for a while, the curtain kind of disappeared, but now it seems like it's, they've, they've drawn it again. And you've been at this music thing, like, a long time, as in most of your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, looking back at your, you know, your discography here, you've got, what, like, eight-ish records? Maybe yeah, something more? like that. Um, now, but let's let's do a little like biography first, just to get people started, because like I don't actually know you that terribly well. Like I've right. seen your name around. Yeah. Um, and we know a lot of similar people. You know, Ted Russell Camp's name came right. up when we were talking before, uh, who's been on the show, and uh, we run in similar circles. But you know, how did you wind up here from New York? Because you started off in New York, New York City, actually, Manhattan. Right. Yeah. Well, we were. Just, I was just born there. Really, my family was from there, and then uh, basically, when people made that migration to the West. The family just moved out here, and we moved to uh, the Fairfax district off of, uh, I think it was Shenandoah Streets where we lived. So, um, And how old were you at the time? Like, I was you, little. Like, I was like a, little, little, like a toddling babe or I was what? a kid, you know? Yeah, not like a, to- like a, a toddling babe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but close, you know? Like, so were you old? I guess the question is, are you old enough to remember? Oh, no, I can remember. I can remember, but I, um, I can't remember... Uh, before that, but I, I can remember from three years old on, you know. So, okay. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but so, but I, my my gr- I went to high school in Orange County. Okay. Yeah. So you, but you were when you came to California, you were what seven, oh, was, eight? No, maybe? a little. I was like oh, kindergarten or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the thing. Like I the, would think, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I went to. It's such a funny thing because kids. We were we were talking about this the other day, my buddy and I. How, like the first, let's say. I don't know, like almost four f- years of your life, like essentially have no memory of this. That's what they say, yeah. You know, like it's the years, yeah, full on years because your brain is developing and you have yeah. like maybe little snapshots of things, yeah, feelings, like an overall sense of, you know, you're alive, but you don't, it's, it's like you don't really start to like imprint things, yeah, you know, that you can recall, yeah, until a certain point. Because that's the thing, like Ray Bradbury, uh, my, one of my favorite authors, moved yeah. to California with his family. First, they were, I think they were in Arizona for a bit, then came to California when he was a kid. 
And but those so that kind of makes those memories of back. He grew up just north of Chicago, uh, the Skokie area along the lake, and like that's that's like idyllic for him. Yeah, like those memories. Like, do you have a similar kind of thing with New York? Like, is is there enough of it there? No, no. But my my main memories start like at uh, out here. Okay. Really, I mean, the family was very New York family, though. All the aunts and uncles, everybody. So it was like when people moved out here, we just kind of migrated together. We lived like we lived beneath my aunt's house. It uh-huh. wasn't even a house, I should say. It was a little apartment, but um, it was on Shenandoah Street, and that my memories yeah. really start there. Okay. Yeah, and going. My memories of New York are more like going back all the time because we used to go okay. back quite a bit because everybody was still there. Now most right. everybody's out here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that feel like one sometimes, in Florida, you know, like the continent, one in Texas. Uh, American continent, can like it's, it's it's like sinks more on the west side now. Yeah, it seems like so many people moved west. Yeah, that's exactly how it went down. You know, we were the first ones to go. But my memories, like I said, I was pretty much born in New York, so I don't, you know, I grew up grew up out here. Now, were you the kid in high school? Were you the kid that was always playing music? Were you involved in like music at school? Were you already even were you writing songs at that point? Yeah, I was already playing. I mean, the first thing I learned was. Age seven. It's funny because my earliest memory was of music was um, I was in, uh, like I said, in Shenandoah Street watching this TV show and a, a clip of the Beatles came on, right? This is very strange. And it was them on the Ed Sullivan show. Now I know it's the Ed Sullivan show. And it was a repeat, obviously, because I wasn't around when the original. Right, right. So, um, but it was, in, it looked like it was in color to me, right? It was in full blown color. And I remember it. And then, then as years went on, I checked that out. It, it was never filmed in color. So I always wondered if the musical colors on a really young mind right. did something like that. Because I definitely saw it in color. Yeah. So, so I was always into music from little, a small kid on. I wanted to do it. I almost knew I was supposed to do it. So I started um, at seven. My dad showed me some chords on the guitar because he could plunk around a little bit. He wasn't a real guitar player. He just wanted someone to, to play with, I think, a little bit. Yeah. So he taught me a Hank Williams song, Jambalaya. Because it was an easy chord change, C and G seven, right? And uh, and what I'd say that that little riff. So I I just kind of took off from there, and then I was always writing stuff even then. I was a little. I mean, I look back. It's, of course, it's kid stuff, right? But, right. But um, like, hey, kid, you took my bike. No, well, actually, the first one was called Bees Bees Make Honey, which sound, which sounds kind of bluesy. So you remember the name? Of oh yeah, your very first song. Yeah, completely. Wow. Yeah, I have a weird. Although I remember, I, I have rem- a great memory. I mean. Knock on wood. I hope it stays that way. But yeah. I have a great memory. I mean, I can remember my first song, but I mean, I was much older by the time I started. Like, I, I mean, late high school yeah. when like we started. You know, my band. Like somewhere along the line, we figured out that we couldn't really be a real band unless we had our own songs. Like we had a hell of a time playing Van Halen and the yeah. Bachman Turner Overdrive and the yeah. Kinks and all that stuff, and it was had a, had a blast. Yeah. But then we were like, well, wait a minute. Well, you know. Bachman, you know, uh, uh, the Van Halen, I guess they did some covers, but like, that's yeah. kind of a bad example. But like any band who's yeah. worth their salt is going to have their own songs, establish their own identity. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, so how long, I mean, we're going to have hear a song from you in just a minute here, yeah. but like how far along were you before you started to think that maybe your songs were something that were, you know, worthy of right. a song, original thing? Well, I, I started thinking when I was probably like maybe freshman in high school, I would think, because I was coming up through that punk scene, you know, that, and a lot of that was like kind of getting back to that, you know, now that, now that's a big market, like do it yourself, but then it wasn't really, you right. know, so that was pretty inspiring. I was like into the Ramones and the Clash and people like that. And of course I liked Hank Williams and 
the Stones and Howlin' Wolf as a little as a small kid because we had those records and things. So I was really into music. I was into kid stuff too, but I was really into music. And I knew these people that a lot of people, my classmates, didn't really know because we were right. too young. You know, I knew the groups of the day, but it's funny because people they'll back me up. You know, people go, "Oh, you couldn't have possibly been into Muddy Waters in the fifth grade," but I was. Yeah. And my my classmates remember it because I was always pestering them with all this stuff. Yeah, going, "Oh man, I'm going to start a band when I get big," and you know. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, but I'd say in high school, I put my first band together, the Earwigs, and that was kind of a rock and roll punk. It was a kind of rootsy oriented, but with a punk energy of that first wave. You know, kind of a that type of thing, and then you know, I felt like the songs were worthy then. I, they and they still. Yeah. It's funny because now some of the songs I recorded with that group, I'd say seventeen years old was the first recording. It was a forty-five. I mean, that thing goes for four hundred bucks now on eBay. Wow. You know, so and people still once in a while there's somebody in the crowd that'll yell for one of those songs. Yeah, but I always just felt I could do it. But you, you're always improving. You know, writing different stuff yeah. and taking different paths. Well, people. <laughs> It's funny, you know, a lot of people now, like they like to like to look down upon millennials, yeah. which is a, it's a complicated thing because in one hand, okay, fine. They're young and maybe they do feel a little bit entitled, but yeah. they're also just as we've made them as the older generation. Like, you know, a lot of the parents told them they were, spe- the helicopter parents hovered over them yeah. at all times, telling them they were perfectly special right. at all times. So if you tell someone they're special from the moment, I mean, which is a good thing to tell someone they're special, but if you tell them that they're the best thing that's ever been from the get-go and you tell them that every day, what do you think they're going to believe? Yeah. That's what they're going to, it's going to be normal to them. And, you know, on top of that, I don't know, like I see, I see a lot of kids working very, very hard, but the point is that's, that's just a short aside. But my point is a lot of the musicians who are legendary got their start when they were very, very young. George Harrison was very young. Sure. Yeah. When the Beatles were playing their first songs. Uh, Van Morrison. Yeah. Was very young when he was in them. And you know, look at the Beatles. Like their whole career as Beatles was wrapped up by the time they were barely into their thirties, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if I've got my math they, right. I think the oldest was thirty at that point. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, it, rock and roll is a youthful thing. Sure. You know, yeah. you capture least, that energy. You capture that spirit of of like being born into a world that you don't understand. Yeah. And trying to make sense of it. At least that's the one way I look at it. Yeah. Anyway, this week's guest, Michael Ubaldini. You can learn about him at rockandrollpoet.com, and that's R-O-C-K-N. You like the music. R-O-L-L. But, but the thing is, it's not and or pe- ampersand, or there's no... Yeah, it's just, know. yeah, with the letter N. Rockandrollpoet.com is his website. Of course, indepthday.com is where you can hear lots of other content, including the web exclusive with Michael, this week's guest. So the song we're going to play is off your most recent record. Is this uh, Battle of Brian Jones? Is that most off the most recent one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the it's a it's it's actually on the Star Shaker album, but it's a limited edition vinyl EP and it's called The Ballad of Brian Jones and the cool thing about that is it's got like the cover shot was sent to me by uh Garrett Mankiewicz who took all those early Stones records covers and Beatles, Marianne Faithful and Oasis. He took a lot of He's a great rock and roll photographer. Yeah. But it was great cuz he loved the song and he he said, "Hey, I'll I'll do the cover for you, you know, I'll get you a cool picture for the cover." Very so, that was, cool. so that was pretty happening. Very nice. Yeah. All right, Michael, let's but hear this. Let's play that. We'll come back. We'll talk some more. So this is Ballad of Brian Jones, Michael Ubaldini on Independence Day. Down in London, Helen 
another train Delta ghosts ring out A lonesome guitar playing Elmo Lewis and his band Laying down the sound Burning up the city Keeping it low down Bottleneck on the wood of steel Blonde head prints in the stage lights shine Spirit of the Ealing Club Brian Jones come play the blues One more time Women at the front of the wooden stage Playing the blues Tough to make a wage Four young birds Into the dance hall flew All holding babies Look just like you The flat you're living in Is a mess Soul of a blues man Never rests anytime Crawdaddy roll with the wind Brian Jones come play the blues One more time Fame is a blessing Or a gypsy's curse Can lead to pleasure Or a long black hearse Scotland Yard is outraged They see more at stake Pour water on a stone Long enough one's gonna break One too many pills and shakedowns Midnight train coming down the line Your friend ran off with the woman You love Brian Jones Come play the blues one more time Cuts from statues I'll see what went down Frozen in stone Christopher Robin frowns A funeral pyre Left no clues Your body laying there At the bottom of the pool Drums of Jujuka Pound a rhythm Some say misadventure Or murder is a crime Rain clouds cry, teardrop guitars Brian Jones play the blues One more time As time rolls on It's plain to see People try to write you out of history A style blue strong Haunts the underground Elmo Lewis spirit Come creeping around A lonesome harmonica Morning The midnight train Whistle winds Snake charmer With a wicked smile Brown Jones Come play the blues one more time In London town An effigy in black An alley lost in time A guitar on his back Spirit from the graveyard 
Where the road bends Plantation sounds rise Eternity dawning Elmore muddy and the wolf awake With blues incorporated It's showtime In Mississippi The juke joint is rocking Bronze arms come play the blues One more time Laying by the roadside Brian Jones Can play the blues One more time My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. This week's guest, Michael Ubaldini. He comes to you, uh, Los Angeles, or actually Orange County. It's kind of in the shadow of Los Angeles, sort yeah. of. Uh, by way of New York yeah. and by way of Austin. And I've and lived in L.A. You know. And other places. But he lived, he lived in North L.A. North Hollywood, so. yeah. Southern California. We'll all just say that All my girlfriends lived up here. <laughs> <laughs> actresses? Are they all actresses? Well, they all, maybe they all wanted to be actresses. I don't know. At one point or another, I think they're all actresses, Michael. Yeah. Uh, so great to see you, man. <laughs> so great to meet you. So great to have you in here. Great song. Thanks. By the way. And you said that's available. It's a new EP? Like a kind yeah. of a brand new EP, right? Yeah, brand new. Just it's been out maybe a month or something. You can get in a, I mean, me, the music carries it. And all the little local record shops. It's on vinyl, you know, just limited edition. And it's got six of the songs on it, six tracks, 12 inch, pretty cool. And vinyl is a cool, I mean, it's vinyl's like the thing these days, which yeah. makes me very, very happy. So, and, and it's a commitment for the artist as well, because did you, as I understand it, there's a really long lead time to get anything pressed into vinyl. Did you there ever is, run into Yeah, those? you got to sort of plan it because, uh, you know, at first I think the major labels, they didn't think that that vinyl was ever going to come back. So, yeah. when, so when Record Store Day used to happen, I think now that they have that, I think what it used to be was for the independents. And so people could get their records pressed and we were selling records and things. But um, then I think once the major labels saw that that was making some money, there was a thing there. Right. Then they started repre you know, repressing all their stuff on vinyl. So they kind of take up the, the, the time in the pressing plants. Right. And, and, they either get, and you know, the independents sort of get pushed to the back burner. Right. So you got to kind of think ahead, plan ahead. Yeah, it seemed like for years and years there was, you know, vinyl was being pressed. But it was, like you said, it was like indie labels yeah. and like really niche market kind of things, maybe punk bands, yeah. you know, people people who had some kind of, I don't know, like romance for vinyl, yeah. you know, because now it's a big romance, but for, for years, like the whole CD era, you know, I had, luckily I didn't get rid of my vinyl, I didn't yeah, have that either, much, yep. but I had some left yeah. over from when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, that's what you listened to. Yeah. No, yeah. I have all my vinyl. I never got rid of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had the C I have CD players and all that, that stuff too, but I just never got rid of it because I like vinyl. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now everybody's like, oh, wow. You got yeah, those, now those it's records. hard, man, because those people who are into vinyl, like you can't find stuff. Or if you do, you know, it's really, really expensive. You know, I've, yeah. I've been looking for, I'm on a big Pink Floyd binge these days. I saw David Gilmore play last year, oh, cool, maybe yeah. April or so. And, uh, so, I mean, I have some left over from when I was a kid, but, like, I, just, I don't have my copy of Dark Side of the Moon that I had before. Right. And I want, you know, I don't want, like, a new digital version of an analog thing. No, I want the thing. real thing. I want, like, an old one. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Because it, when something's older, older like that, when you get, it's from that from that time that you live, it's almost like it's part of that. It's a cool little... Yeah. As yeah. opposed to having, like, the repressed version. It's like, an artifact. Yeah, totally. You know, and I, yeah. don't, I don't need a museum copy. Right. Right? 
Like right, I, you're I, gonna play it. Yeah. I'm gonna play it. I yeah. want a copy that I can play, and it, but you know it doesn't. But I also don't want it to look like it was run over by a hay baler. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it needs to sound cleanish. Sure, you know, yeah. so like, and then but those copies, like for years, all through the CD era, you could probably get those for two dollars. Oh yeah. And now, like that copy that I've been looking for consistently is fifty to seventy-five bucks. And that's a lot for an album that I've probably purchased eight times in my life. You yeah, know, that's the thing. The, the repackages of these records are a lot of money. I mean, yeah, I saw. The Billy Bragg Wilco, um, yeah, that Mermaid Avenue, right? I go, oh look, they got it on vinyl, and it was a lot of money. Yeah, I goes, well, and <laughs> then well, and the big artists have, you know, for better or for worse, I guess for the consumer, someone should call Billy Bragg out on that, huh? Yeah, I suppose <laughs> they've, um, well, but the labels have. I'm just kidding, I don't care, but yeah, they they figured it out, right? Oh yeah, because my buddy who you know works for Macintosh, like really expensive home stereo equipment, he bought this Tom Petty because Petty's re-releasing his catalog sure, now. Yeah. And it's like, it's divided in half. It's like up to a certain era and then before a certain era. But it's vinyl, then it's like eight albums per thing. And right. it's several hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of money. For the thing. you know. And, and Bully for Petty, I guess. I mean, I'm glad he's got you know more money. And I love yeah. Petty. I mean, he looks down upon all we do here in he's Independence right Day. He's right there. Uh, what would Tom Petty do is the question I ask myself a lot. But, you know, I guess make money is the answer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, on the other hand, like... It's okay. You gotta, you gotta you even know, live, you know. You know, and, and Petty, I'm not gonna judge Petty because his output has been very high quality. Oh pretty yeah, pretty much all the way along. Yeah, it's not a bunch of repackaged stuff. His stuff's good, so when they do repackage it, you know you're gonna get some good stuff. Yeah, exactly. And but the key facet there is that Wildflowers, yeah. that record, which I think is maybe his high watermark of his entire career, and that's a very that's a lot of high watermarks in his career. Yeah. But that that record is not available on vinyl. Yeah. I think they might have released maybe I don't know a couple thousand or something or a thousand of them when it came out in the '90s. Sure. Maybe and, they'll, maybe they'll they'll re-release it and make a thing out of well, it. Well, I want it to be yeah. its own thing. Like I would love to have the record. I can't spend the whatever hundred dollars just to buy that along with seven other records. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I get it. It's a shell game. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this week's guest on Independence Day, Michael Ubaldini. You can learn about him at rockandrollpoet.com. Orange County-based singer songwriter, but he's been at this a very long time. And he makes great music of his very own. He's got a bunch of records you can pick up along with a brand new EP. Uh, why don't you play a live song for us, man? You've got this cool old Gibson guitar in here, sure. beat up looking thing. Yeah, it's sounds, been sounds great. Uh, what's this first song you're going to play for us? I'm going to play a song called Jeannie Lee's Phone. Tell me just a, a wee bit about this. Seems like it might be topical. Yeah, a little bit. Well, it's funny because I just noticed that everybody's uh, just addicted to these phones. It seems like everybody's just plugged in and and uh, looking down at their phones. And it used to be sort of, you could kind of get into conversation with somebody in a line somewhere or whatever, but it seems like everybody's just instantly, like it's almost like a security blanket. Yeah. So, and it's kind of cool. Everybody seems to be tuned in. They can get to things faster, but at the same time, it seems like it's taken away a lot of freedom, like like little things that you could experience talking with other people or just seeing what's around you. You know, so I just kind of wrote a song called Jeannie Lee's Phone about this guy. He's just... He's in love with this girl, Jeannie Lee, and uh, she just won't look up from her, from her phone, you know? So it's, uh, no matter where she, where she is, he sees her on the phone. She's on the freeway, you know, she's in the yeah. mall. But for a second, he thought that she looked up at him, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, like ships in the night, man. Digital ships in the night. Yeah. And like Yoda says, never your mind is on where you are. Is that what he says? <laughs> it is what he says. He's thinking, I don't remember, I think it was in the, the Empire Strikes Back, I think is yeah. what he says that in. I'm not going to do a Yoda impression right now. I'm going to spare the good people oh, of, come of on Earth now. for that now. All right, Michael, Ubaldini, this is the song. Like you said, Jeannie leaves phone on Independence Day.
Immediately your head is always buried in the phone See you in a crowd or you're walking all alone Bluetooth headset attached to your ear Looks like a hearing aid, I say hello but you don't hear Try to catch your eye, you're always looking down You cause an accident but would not recognize the sound Sway with indiscretions, move with bad intentions Put down your phone, try something new What must I do, Jeannie Lee? To get some sweet attention from you Saw you at the coffee shop leaning on a shelf Standing in line taking pictures of yourself Posting online photographs for the world to see Thought I saw you lift your head and take a look at me When you're with your friends you don't have a word to say Phone is in your hand 24 hours of the day Honey your perfection, you leave a bold impression You are your own obsession, it's true What must I do, Jeannie Lee? To get some sweet attention from you Genie Lee, Genie Lee, Genie Lee, Genie Lee. Put down the phone. Saw you on the freeway, looking sleek and mean. Driving in your car, still you were looking at the screen. Saw you looking good at the corner shopping mall. Never noticed anyone you're waiting for a call. Texting your friend who was right there by your side. All that I could do is walk into you and collide. You need a smooth injection, shot of intervention. Prevention from invention will do. What must I do, Jeannie Lee? To get some sweet attention from you. Jeannie Very nice, Michael. Very, very cool. Awesome. I like what you do. Thanks, man. It's good stuff. And now, this setting, you know, solo acoustic here, isn't always the setting you always play in. Like, sometimes you've got bands. Yeah. And you've released, like, full-on, like, rockabilly things. Like, talk to me. Talk to me about style a little bit. Okay. Like, like you know, coming from New York, like, I don't know that rock and roll is, or New York's a rockabilly town. I'm not even sure that Los no. Angeles is a rockabilly town, or even if there is such a thing as a rockabilly yeah, town. Yeah, like, maybe Memphis. Sorry. <laughs> where did this come from stylistically for you? I think it started like like a. Uh, see, the thing is, it's funny because stuff gets so so melted now into certain categories, right? But for me, at one point, remember it was just sort of rock and there was rock and roll, blues, country, folk, whatever, right? And then, uh, but I think after the MTV generation, they started like label like the Stray Cats got very big, and then there was a rockabilly thing. Now there's all these little subcultures, but but for me, I think I just that was just one facet of the music that I liked. You know, I liked. The Sun Sun Records stuff, and I kind of got turned on to that. Part. Probably, I would think listening to to Beatle records, you know, like the lead break and all my loving. Right. I remember hearing that, going, "Wow, what, where does that come?" I'm starting to be curious about it. And then I had a Sun Sessions tape cassette of Elvis, and that had the Scotty Moore licks, and I could kind of hear that. And I know that they had covered Carl Perkins, so I started to look at look at those. Uh, plus, I always had my dad, you know. Reminding me, well, yeah. those guys didn't write that song. That's that's Carl Perkins, man. You know. Yeah. But um, so that's kind of like that. And even with blues, it's sort of, I kind of got that via Ray Charles because we we had blues around the house, blues and honky tonk stuff. So I just think it was a natural migration to kind of 
So I kind of cut my teeth on guitar and a lot of rockabilly stuff. Right. But the real, I liked Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps and things like that. But I, I kind of discovered more of that when I was out here. I didn't, right. you know. Yeah, well, it's, it always makes me happy to hear when a kid connects the dots. Yeah. Right? Because right, it's something right. like, as you, as you mature, both as a musician and as a human, I think you, you figure those things out. Like, like uh, I remember reading about Clapton, maybe the first person I heard say this, reading in one of those guitar magazines. You yeah, know, yeah. He was Clapton, you know, he's a god of guitar yeah, yeah. when growing up. Like, we just took it as wrote that he was astounding. And, you know, sure, Clapton's yeah. astounding in his own way. Um, but I remember reading in the article, and he would say, you know, like, well, I, you know, I looked at the people who were, you know, first influencing me. And then I looked at the people that influenced them, like went back a generation. And then, then I went back another generation and looked at the people that influenced yeah. them. Like, and all those old cats, like sooner or later, like there was like a, like patient zero, yeah, you know, or like someone who invented something like Chuck yeah. Berry, Bo Diddley, yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, these are the titans of this art form. Yeah. And but even if you ask them, they got it from someone else too. Sure, yeah, you hear which them I say think it all is, the time. It just keeps going back and back and back, which I think is fascinating. So, so bully for you, man. Yeah, that's how I did it. And then later on, when I when I formed the, my, I had a band, Mystery Train, and uh, we just did one record. I remember it was we had an EMI deal, and it was just for overseas. Yeah, so Brian Setzer he played guitar on a uh, the the record that I put out with Mystery Train, which was really just basically me with with you know a band. They, but they wanted to market it as a band, you know. Right. But um, he played guitar on that track, and then we opened some shows for him. He had me open a bunch of shows, even acoustic. And then, uh, but see, I kind of was more versatile in the music because I was, like I said, I came listen to all that those different varieties, and I, I never I always thought the greats like explored all the different things, but kept within themselves, you know. Right. So, because I, I liked Credence a lot, and they kind of had that in there. You could hear like Bad Moon Horizon, for instance, you know. Because so, um, I never wanted to get pigeonholed into anything. Yeah. Because the purists never really, it seems like in every scene, the purists don't really, they I always break the rules or something. They're always like, oh, you, you can't do that because, you know. Yeah. But to me, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, musicians approach it from a different place. Yeah, totally. You know, when, it, it, when it gets completely. into the realm of commerce, yeah. you know, uh, they used to call them bins back when there was an actual record store. Like this, there would be the blues bin yeah. and the jazz bin right, right. and the rock bin. You know, and like you said before, it's something you said maybe a few minutes ago, like there were there were a handful of them. Yeah. Like, you know, it started like it was either popular or classical. Like that was the first demarcation. Yeah. And then on the you know classical side, it's like, well, okay, it's either choral or instrumental or, or, or uh, you know, symphonic. Yeah. And then another breakdown from there. It's like, okay, is this a string quartet or is this whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And then on the rocks, and then the popular side, you know, because in college, like, that's how we were taught. Like, okay, there's classical styles and popular styles. And yeah. then jazz was part of a popular style. Right. Popular just meant that somebody bought it. Yeah. Whereas nobody yeah. bought classical music at yeah. any point, it seems like. Joking partially, but not entirely. Uh, <laughs> and then you kind of go on from there. But, like, the musicians themselves didn't necessarily want to be in a box or didn't think of themselves that way. It's like, well, I'm just doing what I do. Yeah, I mean, you, you might have your own... People like, let's say, okay... You'll, you know, you hear Bob Dylan or you hear the Stones or Otis Redding, you know it's them, even though they're, you know, dipping their toes in all these different areas and yeah. stuff, you know? But, yeah, it's just uh, just like that. I mean, and Joe Strummer used to pop into my gigs when he was alive, you know, from The Clash. Right. And then uh, this is probably in his Mescalero days, the end, near the end of his life, but but that was kind of cool, and he would show up, and they'd kind of like what you were doing and things like that. So, you know. Yeah, well, the art, like I said, again, the artists themselves didn't see the distinction or need to even distinguish. Yeah. You know, like uh, rock kind of grew out of a combination of blues and country, yeah, sort of. The, yeah, exactly, right? And then, you know, and I don't know, like, uh, it just seems like when there's a good metamorphosis, it's good. Like you said, like it grew up from 
rock and roll, kind of that mixture of, of blues and hillbilly music, right? Right. And uh, so, and but then, even in the Americana thing, you see like labels being within that label, like what is that, right? Americana right. alt. I mean, because when I was writing and playing those songs, there was not even a No Depression magazine, so right. so I don't really look at it like probably from the same angle as somebody else would, you know? Yeah. I think, and this ties into our conversation about vinyl from before, I think... Like the, the the popularity of alt country, no depression, wh- yeah. whatever you want to call it, um, uh, is is not tied to the vinyl thing in terms of commerce, but it's tied to the vinyl thing in that I think you know we you know ten fifteen years into the digital revolution of, of music, yeah, people were starting to feel I don't think they even knew it, but they were starting to feel disconnected from something, yeah, right. The, everything's virtual. It's in the cloud. It's it's on YouTube. There's no purchasing. There's no waiting for your new record to come out. Really, yeah. Like the, the artists drop late records all the time without even telling you they're happening. Like now they have to make a. It's a big thing to do that. Like I remember going to the local music store. Like our only connection to the music industry growing up, or like when a new record com- was coming out by an artist that we loved, was to talk to the guy at the record store or yeah. girl. Right, and you know sometimes they'd have like a chalkboard up, like, "Oh yeah, the new yeah, that's right, this the is new Van out. Halen records coming out in March or whatever." Yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, and we would read Rolling Stone, or we would read Spin, or like, Mojo. Cream, you know, it was like Cream magazine, right? Or, or Cream. Yeah, that was you know? earlier though, right? Yeah, yeah, and like that's how we, you know, we you couldn't live stream the recording of an album back then. It didn't. It the technology wasn't there. No, not like yet, the no. Beatles did, I guess. With all you need is love, like maybe the first live stream. Yeah. That anybody, everybody tuned into, but yeah, you know, that but was Sullivan like, was a thing. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but I think that the Americana thing is people kind of longing for that too. Country had become so saccharine. It sure, yeah. And it remains such. Oh yeah, it's getting such. worse and worse. Yeah. So it's interesting. So and and you you draw on something in your career that the guys from Uncle Tupelo talked about. It's like they were researching the people they liked, and they were into the Minutemen. Yeah. Punk bands, Sex Pistols. Yeah. And they were looking for very raw music. And somehow they figured out that like that old country Leuven Brothers, Carter family stuff was like the most raw stuff they could find. Yeah, sure. Because those people were singing about real things. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you can feel it, you know? You can feel it. And it doesn't matter that that was recorded then. Like to me, you can hear later, like, you know, kind of the intensity of Hank Williams Sr. You can hear that in, in, in like the... The early punk thing, anyway, before I got you know one two f u f u you know, but you know what I mean. But <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but yeah. So and like I remember hearing about Uncle Tupelo back then too. You know, when we were doing Mystery Train and stuff. So it was kind of a small little thing going on. But I yeah. think it's cool how it's how it that came to be. But yeah, country music just like went completely in the wrong direction. Yeah. Oh boy, did it. Yeah. Um. So now. Did you go to college? Did you just jump right into music after? No, after I high just jumped right into music. I think I hung around junior college for a little bit, but um, I didn't really take it seriously or anything. I yeah. just went there to, you know, put a band together or something type of. You Meet know, girls and put a band together. Yeah, I kind of like copying the John Lennon art school thing. You know, yeah, in my Everybody. mind, Pink you know, Floyd too, all those guys. Yeah, it's like, well, if it work for John Lennon, it'll work for me. That's what so. Then you know, take me to your your life at that point. You know, you're you've you've written some songs. You've yeah. kind of put a band together, like. How did that's? It was a different time. Did you yeah. jump into a van? Like how did you? How did you do? Like how did you start your career? Well, first thing we started playing at. Um, there was a place that's not there anymore. There was the two of them. They're not there anymore. Either one of them. There's the Cuckoo's Nest was called, and that was like the premier spot for punk music or anything new that was different. You know, at that time, and it was like you know back then it was very like it was really against the grain. I mean, you you literally walking down the street. I remember having to run because. 
all these men, these older dudes were going to jump me and beat me up for just having a pompadour. You know what I mean? It just people didn't walk around like that then. Right. You know it wasn't so. So we we would play that club was one that was friendly for all age bands to play too. You could be sixteen and have a band and play in there, but you couldn't drink. But you know we still managed to find a way to drink. But of course. But um, and then the Golden Bear was another place. Where were these places located? Uh, well, Costa Mesa was, was the cuckoo's nest was in Costa Mesa and the Golden Bear was Huntington Beach. Okay. And then the LA clubs were like the whiskey when it wasn't pay to play, you right. just book the gig. And then there was the Starwood and places like that. But see, we were really young and then, uh, but we, but that's what we were doing. We were just trying to get gigs anywhere and just play. And so we'd play at the schools and we'd play at the colleges. We'd play at these, these clubs, but there was kind of a little scene around there, which was really, really exciting, you know, for a bit. But um, I never felt like I fit in anywhere because there was, you know, you had like, you know, the, the, the punk became hardcore and then you weren't supposed to admit that you liked anything like Hank Williams right. or the Beatles, for God's sakes, was a night, that was the wrong answer. But for me, we, we like wore that stuff on our sleeve. We didn't care, you know? So it was kind of just a matter of like doing your own thing. And because that's what the whole spirit of the whole thing was to be in the beginning was to begin with, you know? Right. Was but then once there's rules to something, it kind of like kills it. Yeah, it takes the fun out of it. Yeah, it's like oh, now it's like the rockabilly scene became a, a sort of a thing like, oh, it has to be fifties. And I'm like, well, what about Creedence Clearwater Revival? I mean, yeah, or you know what I mean? Like, why do you have to dress? Like even uh, Americana could be there's rules. Oh, you have to wear this shirt. You have to right. It kind of falls into that. But I think that's just human nature when something starts to be around for a little while. Yeah. But me, I've never felt like that. I'll just do whatever I want. That is the best sentence I think I've ever heard a musician say, do whatever I want. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Michael Ubaldini is my guest this week on Independence Day. He's got a new EP that you can find on his website, rockandrollpoet.com. He's got a bunch of other records you can pick up as well on vinyl. And you've got one on cassette. Is yeah. Like, which, which record came out on cassette? Uh, I mean, Star Shaker. Star Shaker. Yeah. That was just late last year, right? Yeah. But the, the cassettes I just put out recently... Those so, just came out. Yeah. So this is a whole other thing. Like I want to talk about this yeah, cassette yeah. <laughs> thing because, like, then, like, for me in my generation, you know, records were what I first listened to when I was a kid. Yeah. And then it was there were eight tracks around, but I hated those. That was yeah, the most clunk, clunk. horrible format. But then cassettes were like when I was in high school. Like that's that's that was what we had. Like we couldn't afford CD players existed, but nobody could afford them in their yeah. cars. And cassettes were great because you could replicate them and share them and make yeah. mixtapes. And so let's talk about the logistics and the romance of that. Yeah. But next, first, first play a song. Okay. So what's this next tune going to be? Um, the next one is uh, it's called "World Comes Crashing Down." And this is a love song. Yeah, it's kind of a bluesy. It's kind of an ironic, but it's um. It's about a. It's sort of. Well, it's all in the words, sort of. You know. Um, I guess I'll just let everybody figure it out. But it's. I, I kind of wrote it from the fact of two down and out people sticking together through thick and thin, sort of a thing. Imagine that. Yeah. People taking care of one another. Yeah. You know, it's I was a lost thinking, art. <laughs> the, la the last little short aside, we played the song. Like people were had another conversation with a friend talking about like the people being very selfish in the modern American yeah. society and how like the '70s was the me decade. Sure. But I think the 20 aught teens have now become the me decade like the me 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 decade yeah but, and not feeling nothing about it yep it's not like, even caring it's just one the way, way it is yeah oh, god help us somebody anyway all right so michael ubaldini this is the song world comes crashing down you're like a steam engine a rolling wheel a hurricane, a blazing sun, an uncut ruby switchblade, 
the ammunition from the gangsters. Tommy gone. When you come around, baby, my whole world comes crashing down. The highway to excess has got me so stoned. You got me hard as an iron ball, and I'm gonna get you alone. In the back of a junkyard call, when you come around, baby, my whole world comes crashing down. We sleep in cheap motels, the river rats know our names. Got no money to spend, but that's a luxury, baby. A penniless fortune and fame. I'm drinking coffee mixed with whiskey. Smoking the butts of Dale's cigarettes. I lost some money at the track. When I come home, you're waiting there. I feel like I won the bet. When you come around, baby, my whole world comes crashing down. Them old records are stacked. I got them piled in a cardboard box. Oh, yeah. Let's go to your mom's house and dust them off and play them loud beneath the moon. Don't that old Hank Williams rock? The years keep rolling. You're getting older, baby. But you're still looking oh so good. Father, time to catch you, baby. But you're still the best looking woman in the neighborhood. When you come around, honey, my whole world comes crashing down. When you come around, baby, my whole world comes crashing down. When you come around, baby, my world comes crashing down. Yeah. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. Come to you Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific time this time of year. Pacific daylight time. And man, do I love the long days. I love summertime. Yeah. Even in California, I love the daylight. Uh, you can drop by indepthday.com, learn everything you need to know about me and our show. We bring you guests from around the country, around the world, and a lot of them are from California. I do love California as well. Say hello, Michael. Hey, how you doing? I am very, very well. We were uh, great song again, Thanks. by the way. Uh, and part of me wishes you had a band, but part of me is glad you didn't because yeah. it's nice to strip things down and just hear what the song sounds like. And it's kind of like, it's it's like skeleton, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, that's how I write anyway. Everything starts on that guitar or the piano yeah. or something. And then, but I always thought like, what, if you take the band away, the song's got to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so before that song, you know, we kind of teased this a little bit. You released your new thing on cassette. Yeah. And you're the first, because I've seen those popping up in record stores, and yeah. like, young bands are doing this again. Yeah. And for them, it's a retro thing. Like, some of those kids weren't even born when cassettes no, they, were they the never, primary no, format. No, it's like a thing for them, yeah. But, and I just found, uh, I was digging around looking for some old guitar picks, and I found a TDK SA90, oh, still cool. sealed. Wow. In its cellophane. I was like, oh, man, I put it up on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram, at In-Depth Day, by the way. And I put it up on Instagram, like, hey, look at this. Look what I found. Isn't this cool? And like everybody's memories came flooding up, and it was totally cool. Yeah. So tell me, like, what was the idea behind doing a record on cassette? Was it nostalgia, romance, practicality? I don't know. I wouldn't say it's nostalgia. I, th I still think it was kind of like, I think it was more like, I mean, I thought it was cool. I always liked, I always, like you said, I had records and cassettes and eight tracks and all that stuff. But 
I just started seeing it pop up. Like, what happened was really this uh, this kid was at one of my shows, you know, and he came up and he's he liked the music, but he's trying to be real cool, you know. So he comes up and he's like, like I don't think he had money to buy anything, but he was wanted to make it like he wanted to buy something. If I had what he wanted, so the first thing he said was, "Well, hey man, you know, you got any cassettes? You know that whole." But then I had him, so I was like, "Yes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do." Just for guys like you, man. Yeah. <laughs> and what was what was his reaction at that point? He, was, he actually bought it. Oh, okay. He, he kind of got nervous, but he bought it, which was cool. So that's kind of. I think that's called calling his bluff. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, but the, I just think it's kind of a fun thing to do, like make some cassettes. You have those at the shows, and then younger kids that are into them can buy them because they're a lot of them are into. There's a little niche for that. Right. And I just think it's cool because people are um, having fun with the music. The physical product and things like that, which is the stuff that turned me on to it. Like you could probably remember, like you know, staring at a record cover while you play the record or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with cassettes. You know, it's just, just that tangible thing. Is although they'd eat your player up and stuff, but you know. Yeah, but you could always copy stuff. And if you, oh yeah, you know, it's great. You, know, you can make little mixtapes and you know and. I, <laughs> I love the cassette tape thing because yeah. it was it was a little more durable. Like like when CDs came out, they sounded fantastic, at least yeah. for the age. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the noise floor went away. Everything was crystal clear, yeah. and you could hear all these details. And, and it was a novelty too because it was had a laser, and that seemed so space age. And yeah. it was the newest thing. And then those, of course, you could just make tapes off of those. Yeah, I remember. Here's the Pink Floyd reference again coming back around. I remember yeah. the wall was very expensive. Yeah, and I I didn't even have a CD player of my very own, but my buddy did. So I bought the C- the wall on CD, which at the time was $30, yeah. which for me in high school was a lot of money. Like sure. I had to save up to get it. Right. But I was tired of wearing out my cassette of the wall because I played it so much that yeah. I would literally wear it out. Yeah. And rather than just keep buying that again, because that one wasn't cheap either. That was a double album. It was like 15 bucks for the right. cassette. Right, that was like, yeah. So I invested in the, the uh, CD. And then we'll just go buy a TDK SA-110 or 90 or whatever it was, SA-100, and then just make myself a copy. And then that became my copy that I listened to. And then that wore out, yeah. and just make another one. Yeah, that was cool, too, because I remember like a lot of records were hard to come by in that, that first wave of, like let's say, The Clash, The, the Jam, The Buzzcock, those English groups, and some of the New York ones, Johnny yeah, Thunders. Yeah, yeah. So like if somebody had, it seems like each person you knew had one of those records. So right. then we would make, somebody would give a tape, and we'd tape it, and then they'd, you know, we'd share them with yeah. each other. So I guess people say, well, file sharing is the same thing, but there's something to me that's fun about... It's more organic. There's something more organic about it. You know, you're pulling the record out, you're recording it, you got a little cassette in your hand. It's the it's the intention. It's the same yeah. reason I like playing vinyl. Yeah. You know, not all the time, because it kind of sucks when you're washing dishes, got to get up and flip the record. <laughs> yeah. But or like... Get stuck on a skip. Right? Exactly. But uh, but there's something... It's it's intent listening. Oh, yeah. Intentional listening. Like you set it in, you drop the needle, and you you're more likely to sit and listen to something if you took some effort you know, invested time in doing it. It was yeah. the same with the cassette tapes and your yeah. buddies. And then the cassettes, I made them like a, like limited, like a rock and roll pink and black, like, you know, and then yeah. another one's red and black. Yeah, Sort yeah. of like a 70s, just to make it some kind of a, so it's got a cool look to it too. Yeah. And the music's good, so it makes it kind of a, kind of an experience, you know. God, the romance with cassette tapes, Michael. I, I, I could just flood this with memories. Like, yeah. the, I remember, you know, they were all, uh, uh, a solid color, usually yeah. kind of a beigey, beige white, yeah. you know, and then some of them were like white, white, and every now and again somebody'd release like a black one or whatever. Right. But then when they became clear, yeah, like it was like, oh my god, that's like the, it's like a revolution. Yeah. You know, for some reason that was like the coolest thing, and I still remember I got, I would get, you know, a record. I think it was a Dire Straits record, and I it like, and it would, it had a smell, 
Oh yeah, like a very like kind of almost like a sweet fruity type smell, you know. Whereas like an MP3 doesn't smell like anything. No, you know what I'm well, saying. It's like a book. If you ever open read a book, right? You open it, you smell the pages or something. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're reading on the computer, you know, forget yeah. it. You're gonna get dizzy. Doesn't have the <laughs> doesn't have the romance. Like in no. my in my sphere, like the first like indie ish band that I remember cassettes popping up around town because uh, we had kind of moved on to CDs mostly at this yeah. point, was Camper Van Beethoven. Oh, yeah, I remember that band. This yeah. indie band, you know, they've kind of evolved. They still play, actually. Yeah. Uh, David Lowry went off and formed Cracker. Um, but, like, my girlfriend had one of their earlier records, and it was, you know, it looked kind of homemade. Yeah. Which was kind of part of the romance. Yeah. You know, people were doing the, the DIY thing. Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it's a cool thing, because it gets people interested, and it's, you know, they build a little scene around it and things like yeah. that. Well, it's intentional listening again. Like, well, and although I'll admit, like in in my truck, the vehicle that I drive around in the world, yeah, I don't have. I do have a CD player, but I also have a cassette player because it's old enough yeah. that it was released in that era when there were a lot of cassettes around. And I st- I don't have like a Bluetooth thing to play in my. I have a smartphone just like everybody yeah. else, but I can't play that through my system unless I use a cassette adapter. Yeah. So that's how I play iPod or my iPhone through my car stereo system is oh, with wow. an analog cassette adapter. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Huh? God help me when it dies, I'll have to buy one. I'll have to buy one off eBay for a hundred bucks. Yeah, you have to hit eBay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how about another song, man? You've got some other really great tunes coming up here. I can't wait to ever, for everyone to hear these. What's this next one? Uh, this next one's called Rosewood Night. Rosewood Night, and, uh, and riddle me a little bit about that one. That one's uh, that one is that's off of a solo acoustic thing I put out. 2015 just just for when i go on tour and just do like basically like a folk tour right when i'm not don't have my full band I'll, i wanted something because people would want acoustic stuff and i right. already had some acoustic records but i go why don't i go in and lay down like 21 songs or something yeah, yeah. like mix of some of the old ones plus some new ones and this was one of the ones i was doing but i had a honky-tonk band i play with sometimes still called michael and the lonesome playboys and uh this song was on it but i, I always thought this song sounded better straight acoustic just for some reason, you know. Yeah, everything, every song has a life of its own. Yeah, I just maybe it's just me. Like, people like the recorded version, but for me, I like it acoustic. I really think it. Kinda... I think it's interesting because you're also corroborating th- something that I've I've heard a long time in my career, which is that you know I play in rock and roll bands and I yeah. do solo shows from time to time, and people frequently ask like because I'll, I'll be sitting around a campfire. For example, up in the mountains somewhere, yeah, and you know, the, maybe the people next to me they'll come over and they'll listen, and they, they, a lot of times they'll buy a record, which is great. And I always love it when people buy records, not just from me, but from any musician. Go buy their music, yeah, put money in their hands. Uh, it's a hard road to hoe, but a lot of times they want to hear or they want to buy something like they heard, yeah, which is just me and a guitar, right, right. You know, so I think it's very, very smart of you to uh, to like take take that hint and make something out of that, right, right. So kudos to you. All right, All right Michael Ubaldini is my guest this week. This is his song, Rosewood Night on Independence Day. Come back, baby. Nothing can save me. Don't leave me standing here alone. Where you're nowhere inside, the skies are falling. And the night is calling For your return with a light that burns In a rosewood night What I lost I thought I had Was never really mine Only love's betrayal Across the county line Where I'm forever roaming 
the highway is a moaning I'm disowning everything that's past On wings taking flight The wind is bleeding And the stars are pleading For your return with a light that burns In a rosewood night Honey, I'm drifting And the sand is sifting Lifting me along with a rambler's song Filled with drink, filled with fight My heart is breaking And my soul is aching for your return with a light that burns in a rosewood night Tonight I've got the blues of the very worst kind Mournful empty sounds, winds whispering in the pines Honey, do you want me? It's that thought that haunts me Beyond the bleak horizon where the sunset don't feel right Way over yonder I pine and I ponder For your return with a light that burns In a rosewood night For your return with a light that burns In a rosewood night That is Michael Ubaldini. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Great song, Michael. Thanks, man. It kind of gets that uh, like uh, simple but not stupid, you know, right, like Tom right. Petty again is that reference where it's yeah. like it's 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 simple and like, but there's it's like elegant simplicity is a better way yeah. to say it. So yeah, you could do like look um, simple songs. It doesn't have to be stupid, you know. I mean, well, exactly. I mean, Buddy Holly, you know. It's uh, the best stuff is like that because and and I think the best artists are capable of doing that. Something that's accessible. Yeah. Something with simple. You know, Ernest Hemingway is almost a great example of that. Simple yeah. language, short right. sentences. You know, things that people can really dig into and relate to, um, but still has an elegance to it, or still has like a special unique feel to it. So right. kudos to you, man, for doing that. Sounds great. Oh, cool. Thanks. Um, one thing I want to talk about, I mean, it's kind of a, a little bit of an oddball thing, but you had a health scare a few years ago. But the but the reason I want to bring it up is that like, as a musician, yeah. right, are you part of a musician's union or did you have health insurance somehow? Because it's, it's almost for a musician, this is something that comes up a lot. Like you see a lot of people doing benefit concerts for such yeah. and such musician in Austin who... Yeah, you know, fell into a whatever, you know, or <laughs> fell into a well or something. God only knows, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, things befall people, whether they're musicians or not. So yeah. in your case, um, you fell ill. Yeah, and I mean, how did you take care of that? Did you have insurance? Well, yeah, like Blue Shield or something. I was paying for it, but still, it's you know, just, just paying for it out of pocket. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do, man. I mean, I mean, I had to, you know. It definitely caused big money issues, and but but musicians did get together and do a couple of benefits. And that did help. Yeah. You know, so. And you, but you're doing much better now. Yeah. You yeah, it was just a freak thing, really. You know, it was like a, it was like a, an infection. I mean, it's only happened to like 20, the, the doctors told me it happened to like 20 people that the, in, that's, I don't know how to word it, written in the medical annals or whatever. You know? Right, right. Anyways, but I had an infection that we all get. It's like a, it's like a, it goes through the blood, but it's, um, it's a, a skin germ, but you, your body usually fights that off and kills it. You know, you cut yourself right. all the time. Right. But I was something. I, I was born. I had a my heart valve 
was like, you know, a little bit, it's fine, but it was a little leaky. But the germ got on the heart valve, Uh-oh. whatever it was, got on there, nested there, and then it it went to the your, my brain, but it didn't, it wasn't like a clot going to your brain, nothing like that, but it just started to like cause a bleed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had a bleed, like if somebody, sometimes that happens to boxers, they get hit in the head, right? Right, right. And they'll have a bleed, you don't have like a clot in there or anything like that. But it, what happened was like, I went to the doctor for that and I, I said, hey man, I'm not feeling right, you know? I feel like I, my, my leg feels a little weird, you know? And they were like, oh no, you probably pinched a nerve. So of course you're thinking, well, hey, who's thinking brain bleed, right? Right. So anyways, but that's what happened. I ended up, uh, I kind of, coll- I collapsed basically. And then they, they told me I'd never walk or play guitar again, maybe in the, in the when I was in the emergency, like on the table. They said, well, you have a better chance of walking than playing your guitar. But then, you know, this is a miracle, really. I mean, it's, if you saw it in a, ho- a Hollywood movie, you would think it was yeah. not real. Because on Christmas Day, I was in the hospital and I started moving my hand, just my hand. And usually your bigger muscles come back first. But my lip, my I was worried I wouldn't be able to play guitar. Not a, here, I'm not being able to walk at the time, right? Right. And then yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more about the guitar, right? Yeah, of course. And and, and more than that than living, right? But you, so, anyways, uh, it happened. It was a miracle. Like I ended up walking and playing guitar. I had to put a little work in, of course. Right. But just the mere, they were all stunned. Those doctors were all stunned. Did your punk like ethos help you with that? In other words, you know, oh, the if, attitude. If someone, yeah, if someone tells you like. Mr. Ubaldini, you're never going to walk or play guitar again. Is it immediately like, hey, up yours, I'm going to do this, or... Well, maybe kind of got like that, because I remember they, the guy didn't say you weren't going to. He said it's a chance, right? Okay, I see. So I was like, I just hung on to that. And then when they put, they had, I remember they put like a, a wheelchair in my room, and I was like, you can get rid of that, because I'm yeah. not going to be in that, you know? Yeah. So maybe that was some of it. And then, of course, I, I you know, praying to God, and I, I believe if you... Have God on God with you, and then you put your own energy in with it. I believe that like anything can happen. Yeah, and that's what happened. It was a miracle, you know. People can people can laugh all they want, you know, but I mean, I went through it. So yeah, well, it's. I mean, one minute you can't move, you're paralyzed. I mean, I couldn't even. They put a baseball in my hand. I used to play baseball when I was a kid. I was I loved that game, but but I um I couldn't even drop it. I couldn't hold it. You know, like they go, okay, drop it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even. It was really, it's really like, when I think about it, I feel like I'm talking about somebody else. Right. And, and the weird thing is, I'm completely healed to where it's like it never happened. So it's very strange. The whole thing's really strange. Yeah, it's like this ugly train that kind of rolled into your world. Yeah. And then just kind of like messed up things for a while. But that's funny you said And then rolled back out the other side. That's funny that you said that because I, I, right after I was, re- I recorded a song with the, on the last of the Honky Tonks record. It was called when a freight train rolls right over you. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you brought that. That's what it seemed like. But, but yeah. So, I guess all things happen for a reason. Maybe it'll inspire somebody else that's you know going through some yeah. tough time, no matter what it is. Well, that you people, can really. You can, if I'm you sorry. The, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, if you, you have the willpower to put the the work in and, and have the faith, I think you can overcome anything. People forget that a low chance is still a chance. Exactly. Right? It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means it's unlikely. But, I mean, how unlikely was it that, you know, someone like Michael Jordan would get as good as he got at basketball? Yeah. It's kind of unlikely, but he did it. How unlikely is it that SpaceX and Elon Musk have been able to land rocket ships Buck Rogers style upright and then reuse them (laughs) again? Unlikely, but everything in the world starts off as unlikely. Well, just and then it just, becomes likely. Well, even just if you think about our existence, if you really like want to freak your mind out, is pretty unlikely. 
Yeah. I mean, there's not one. Oh, yeah. There's not one person throughout time who is the same as somebody else. So that's just kind of if you really you could really scare the scare yourself. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Michael, what about, you're saying is we really are snowflakes. I, I don't know, but maybe everybody is a snowflake. I don't know. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, or maybe we're solid rock. Yeah. You know? Yeah, something like that. Space stuff, star stuff. Isn't that yeah. what Carl Sagan said we were? Isn't we're made out of star stuff? Carl Sagan. Yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. I miss that guy. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about. We play another song. We, almost time to kick your butt out of here. I mean, I could talk to you all day. I'm yeah. having a great time. Um, and but you've been doing some pretty interesting opening gigs lately. You're opening for yeah. some like pretty legendary people. Judy Collins, who I met at one point. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, Don McLean, Mr. American. Yeah, I played. Pilot. With, I played with him too. Um, so how like I mean I know you've been doing this a long time. You probably played a billion shows. With a lot of yeah. people, but like how are you winding up with these sorts of gigs at this point in your career? Well, it's funny because the Judy Collins thing, I saw she was playing, you know, I thought, man, maybe I can get on that show and do, do, you know, my acoustic thing, you know? And so, um, when they said, well, she, she usually has somebody opening for her, you know, she brings somebody, but then it turned out, they go, Hey, do you want to do it? You know, she said it would be cool or whatever. So then I did that. And that was really, I mean, for two reasons, it was good to open up for her. And she was part of that whole village scene with Phil Oaks and Dylan and right. Van Ronk. And, you know, she's part of it. So that's kind of cool. And, but what I thought was, was mind-blowing was to hear the voice sounds good on the records but live that kind of female voice you don't hear anymore right and it just blew me away i mean it was so crystal clear like it was a siren fl floating over a river somewhere in some valley you know yeah it was that pure yeah and so like that was pretty amazing to hear i was really glad i got to experience that maybe i'll, I'll do a, a ham-fisted job of explaining this but I, I saw Bonnie Raitt one time at a music festival, and I always liked Bonnie Raitt. She's good. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, it's like I didn't really understand what she was about. And then I happened, she was at this festival, you know, long, well, the, she was headlining one of the big stages on one of the three nights. And, you know, for some reason, I happened to wander over to her stage. And it was palpable. As soon as I walked up and hearing her perform live for the first time ever, it was like, ah, now I get it. Yeah, like I've heard she's always sounded great, and she sounded fine on records. Right, but right. But everybody sounds fine on records. That's sure. They polish them all up. She sounds amazing. Yeah. In a way that you can't really explain until you see them do it live, and that yeah. sounds like what you experienced with Judy. Yeah, Collins. it really was. I didn't expect to feel that either. You know, it was like you, you say, like I just sat yeah. there and watched her and was like, man, I'm like witnessing and hearing something really, really great. You know, and like then I started thinking how there's not many singers of that ilk anymore either. That that sound. You know, when you right. think like maybe her, like, because there's, you know, lots of different types of voices, but that kind of voice was really, in that genre too, right. was really cool to hear. You know, and just live music is such a special and important thing. And it's the one thing that like, they, it can't really be taken away from us as musicians. Yeah. I mean, they can live stream things all day and we can do live video streaming now and that's great. But there is nothing like, and never will be like anything like being in the same room. No, there's nothing like it. hearing an artist do what it is that they do. Yeah. Those vibrations going straight from their instrument and their voice into your ears. Yeah. You know, no digital A to D, D to A conversion, just right there yeah. in, in immediate like that. Yeah, just it's so great. And I've had, the, I've had a, a good fortune of opening for a lot of people that I've liked and done shows, even the same bill. Like, I mean, I've... I like played with her. I did Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis show. Like, oh, I got to wow. for him. Did you get to talk to him? Uh, he came out like he doesn't come in until he yeah. plays. So he's walk. I was walking off, and he was walking on, and then he just so he just nods and said, "Good job, son." <laughs> so that was good enough for me. So yeah. so that was that, and then uh, God, I just can't think of all the people I've played with, but um, 
Yeah, because you've had a pretty storied career yourself, so yeah. there's got to be a ton of them. Yeah, there's John Hammond and uh, John Hammond Jr., you know, the old, Leon Russell, um, who else, you know, Setzer and those guys. Mm-hmm. The, Setzer's an amazing guitar player. Yeah, Lucinda Williams, I played mm-hmm. with her, you know, uh, all kinds of people, you know. Yeah. Well, you've earned the it, The cramps. <laughs> the cramps. Yeah. You've earned it. Yeah. You know, you put in the work, and that's something that always makes me happy to see people who have put in the Dwight work. Dwight Yoakam's another one. That yeah. was a good show. Dwight, I've had at one point, I mean, I won't call him a friend, but I've done a bunch of radio interviews with him over the years. So yeah. he, I fixed his belt buckle. Oh, yeah. He showed up at a radio interview one time, and I was the producer, and we couldn't find him. And I called his publicist and said, hey, you know, we're going on the air in like four minutes. You know, I need Dwight in the building. Yeah. And he's like, well, he says he's there. So I went outside, I ran outside, and here he is with his butt sticking out of the driver's seat of a of a Corvette with yeah. his like with his head down in the floorboard underneath the steering wheel. He's like, I broke my belt buckle. So I, we, I was like, look, you know, Mr. Yelkum, thanks for being here. Please come inside. So I got him inside, and I took his belt buckle, and I had a Leatherman multi-tool thing with me. Yeah. So while he was on the air, I fixed his belt buckle and gave it back to him. So now Dwight kind of knows who I am because he's come to different radio stations yeah. to do interviews, and it's like, oh, see. so we kind of know each other a little bit. Dwight's a definitely a maverick as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a guy that was, he and his band, you know, with Pete Anderson and those guys were opening up for punk bands. Yeah, yeah. You know? Back they're doing double bills with punk bands yeah, back in the day. Completely, yeah. Even the Blasters were playing with X and things. I, and yeah. Dwight was playing with them, I think. Like you say, they were doing all those shows. But I think it was cool because everything was different. You know, it was, yeah. everything was fresh. But you know, once it gets sucked up into the system, it's like everything else, right? Yep. It it is like everything else. You've got a lot of wisdom, Michael Ubaldini. It's lovely to have you on the show. And <laughs> I love I love wisdom. So give me another one, one more song. We've got enough time for one more. What do you got here? Uh, this one's called uh, Mrs. Simpson, Johnson, and Tucker. And it's about a law firm? <laughs> yeah. A really, really, a really crazy, dangerous law firm. All right. No, go. no, it's not about a law firm, but it's just about uh, a lot of those incidents had actually happened to me, so I just wrote them down. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just married women that were like, you know, on the prowl, you know. But I mean, one of the stories is that, that, that I just based that out like uh, on uh, Mrs. Tucker. I, I met, met this girl at a party once and I'd already had the problem of like some girl not telling me that she was married, you know. I go, like, I don't want any trouble like that. So, so anyways, I meet this girl. I go, hey, so uh, you got a boy? Or, oh, she said boyfriend. I go, no. She goes, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Ah. Uh, so, so I we go to her place. So she and, wasn't lying. No, she wasn't <laughs> lying. That's what she said. I go, that's why we went. It was a military base. So we pull into this oh, military Lord. base, and I go, okay, maybe she. I was thinking to my, maybe she's just an army brat or something. So, um, we go in there, and I start seeing these pictures on the wall marriage picture and I go so who's, what's this are you divorced or blah blah so oh, no that's my husband I go like she said well I didn't lie to you so I took off so I threw that in the song you know there's there's friends I was real that's why that guy at the gate was giving me such a dirty look there's this rock and roll guy pulling yeah. into oh man I guess the moral of the story is if you're going to cheat with a married woman, don't cheat on a married woman whose husband might have access to automatic weapons. Exactly. Turn up at your door with a gun, you know? Yeah. And last question for you, before you play the song, did you change the names to protect the innocent or guilty? Yeah. As the case may be? Yeah. The names are all different. All right. Good man. I don't even, (laughs) I don't even remember the names of them. Better off that way. All right. Michael Ubaldini, this is his song, Mrs. Simpson, Johnson, and Tucker on Independence Day. Sweet Mrs. Johnson, sweet Mrs. Johnson, don't borrow sugar anymore. Your husband's bound to find out what you're really coming here for. 
Don't want no police outline of my body Left on the kitchen floor Sweet Mrs. Johnson, sweet Mrs. Johnson Don't come scratching on my door Sweet Mrs. Simpson, sweet Mrs. Simpson You let me border here and breathe Collecting your steady rolling payment Almost every night from me You hang a sign over my head And there's nothing left to spare Sweet Mrs. Simpson, sweet Mrs. Simpson Don't climb in my rocking chair I'm gonna change my hat But I've got no place to go Over the horizon The red sun, it's slipping down real slow And the air is drunk with turpentine Hard to resist a missus that looks so fine Tired of covering my tracks Got me a new pair of shoes to shine Sweet Mrs. Tucker, young Mrs. Tucker Quit following me around Your old man is in the Marine Corps And he's bound to cut me down Yes, there's eyes watching everywhere Though he's far off overseas Sweet Mrs. Tucker, young Mrs. Tucker Don't squeeze the peaches on the tree Mrs. Johnson, Simpson and Tucker You're bound to be the death of me Michael, man, that's a good that's a good tune about a good subject, and I love that there's a kernel of truth in it. Right, like the best songs, even if it's not entirely true, the best songs have a kernel of truth, and never let the truth get in the way of a good story. No, and the, the weird thing is, is like a lot of stuff that's happened to me is is true, you know. So I write about my life has been sort of a sort of an interesting experience so far. I mean, I've like people can't believe the stuff's actually. Even I don't believe the stuff's actually happened when I when I run into these types of people or whatnot. And um, that's why I think some of those music journalists, they all of a sudden I remember reading some of these write-ups and they were always oh, the Jack Kerouac of Americana or, you right. know, and I think that's because he wrote about a lot of experiences too. So then I, then I started really dwelling more into him. I was into a, they read some of the famous books, you know, but, but I started dwelling more and going, well, what are they, what's the similarity they're seeing? You know, but I think it's the cast of characters that kind of, kind of appears in your life. Yeah. And jotting it down to a piece of art. Right. Well, that's the skill that artists have is I feel, you know, I don't want to make it sound like that. this is simple because it's certainly not, but it's, it's taking the experiences that we have and then distilling it down and then serving it back. Like, or, or we're running it through our own personal prism. Cause like how many songs have been written about girls and cars and relationships yeah. and, and broken hearts and all those sorts of things. Like every topic there is to write about, but yet 
great songs are still being written and great artists are still writing them. So that's the unique thing about art. Yeah. So go see, support art. I guess that's the moral of the story, right? Yeah, all the live music and films, independent filmmakers, anything like that. Yeah. Now tell me, you know, before we wrap this up, you've got um, you got a regular thing going on. Tell me about that real quick, the regular residency. I host this thing called the Outlaws of Folk Music Series down in, uh, it's in Newport Beach, California, at an old, old coffee house called Alta Coffee House. It's been there since, I don't know, the late 60s or 70s, something like that. But Dawn of time. But they, they hang local artist paintings on the wall. It's got a really cool atmosphere to it. So, uh, I mean, sometimes I'd turn up at these songwriter nights and I'd watch them and see what's going on. But it seemed to me they started to get a bit pretentious. Everyone's in a circle, but they're being like clipboarded. You know, like people, are, you can do this many songs. And oh, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Not, not like a songs, song in the round. I'm more like a, the host of these events. They were becoming, they're supposed to be for the musicians and the songwriters, but to me they started changing from what they once were where you could actually do your set sort of a thing and kind of try out some new stuff or whatnot. So I started not liking that that whole vibe. I go, man, there should be a place that, why isn't it like this anymore? You know, that kind of thing. So I thought, well, I'm not really a host type of a guy, but I go, well, I'm just going to put together a night. And so we're touring artists, up-and-coming pl- musicians and songwriters and guys from L.A., my friends that, that I play gigs up here all the time with, have all come down and played it. And it's gone, it, the CBS... Um, called it like the best folk music show, one of the best in Orange County. Yeah, but you know it's probably the only one in. <laughs> but <laughs> by default, it but yeah, but you know best. it's 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 really gotten a cool thing. It's been a real good uh, communal thing there with the musicians and the songwriters. People are coming to support each other, you know, and it's um, no one's like playing and splitting and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's 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 really really. And how often? When does that happen? Oh, it's every first Thursday of each month. Okay. So, so people you know. should check that out. Head down to Orange County and check that out. And you've got also some other shows coming up. Yeah, yeah. I'm playing this thing called the Southern California Hoedown Festival. It's kind of a a mixture of roots music, Americana, and punk all together in Santa Ana, California. And uh, that's in August. Yeah, August 10th. Okay. And um, I've got some shows in Austin, Texas. I'm going to be going to Austin. You know, playing out there. Good music town. Yeah, I used to live out there and stuff, so it'd be good to go back. I haven't been back for a while. Great Mexican food. Oh, man, the best. It's like Italian food in the East Coast, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll have to get me some tacos after we're done here, Michael. Yeah. Anyway, well, Michael, keep doing what you do, man. It's been an honor having you on the show. Thanks Uh, for having me, man. The pleasure is mine. People can drop by rockandrollpoet.com to learn about Michael Ubaldini. Uh, He's got a bunch of records you can pick up, and you should pick up each and every one of them. He's got a brand new record out on cassette and vinyl. Right. As well, Brenda EP, uh, as well as a new record that came out just late last year, which is not that long ago. Uh, and uh, like I said, rockandrollpoet.com, indepday.com. Keep doing what you do, man. Oh, yeah. Okay. So thank you to Michael Ubaldini, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The rogue Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. And thanks, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.